are my friends. Come along with me. See how the story ends. This episode is brought to you by TestKitPlus.com. We all know how important it is to prioritize your health and well-being, especially when it comes to recreational activities. That's why we want to tell you about our buddies over there. They can be your go-to resource for high-quality, easy-to-use recreational test kits. Whether you're planning a weekend getaway, attending a music festival, or just having a good time with your friends, it's really important to make sure you know what you're putting into your body. So head on over to testkitplus.com forward slash professional hippies. That way you can be sure you're safe and you have the peace of mind of what you're putting in your body. They have test kits designed to detect a wide range of substances, providing accurate and reliable results in the comfort of your own home. Knowledge is power, so don't leave anything to chance. Again, that's testkitplus.com forward slash professional hippies. This episode is brought to you by North Spore. Ever wondered what secrets lie beneath the forest floor? What if I told you there's a hidden kingdom waiting to be explored right in your own home? Norspore is your getaway to this magical world. Whether you're a beginner or a seasoned mycologist, Norspore has everything you need to cultivate culinary delights, medicinal powerhouses, and even a little mind-expanding magic. Unlock the power of fungi with their top-notch spawn, easy-to-use kits, and a treasure trove of knowledge. If you're ready to embark on your mushroom journey, visit Norspore.com and discover a community of passionate growers, expert resources, and endless possibilities. It's time to tap into the ancient wisdom of fungi and transform your world. Be sure to use code PROFESSIONALHIPPIES for a very special discount to fuel your fungal exploration. Norspore, where wonder grows. What's up all you hippies out there and probably some of the professionals that tagged along? Hey, this episode, we are going to pivot in a different direction from last week. So last week you had a leader of leaders. And this week, we have a different version of leaders of leaders. So we are joined by Julie Hagen. And I think you guys are going to get a real kick out of this because one of the things that we get approached about a lot is not just like, okay, hey, how can I integrate um, being a professional, but also wanting to let loose in this creative, fun kind of way and not be like so stiff and feel like my life is ending, right? So Julie's going to be one of the, the type of people that could step in and help fill that gap. Just like we try to meet in the middle somewhere between professional and hippie woo-woo. I think in this day and age, there's a lot coming online for folks that are looking to have practical, pragmatic steps of how can I integrate big, expansive experiences into more um, chunkable and easily digestible um, practices in my everyday life. So Julie's a microdose coach, and so she's going to be kind of chatting with us around a whole bunch of different stuff. What I loved about the bio that you sent me over, Julie, is like, I didn't know that you had a background as a lawyer. That's pretty sick. (laughs) So your background is pretty extensive. I mean, what I love about the work that you do, and and we'll give you guys all the links to go check her out. Your content's awesome. I think it's really fun. It shows off a ton of personality. Um, But she's definitely someone that I think you guys are going to be excited just to tune in this conversation. There's no real formal structure. We might grill her with all the hot pressing questions that you guys have been, you know, wanting to ask when it comes to microdosing because we've had on another microdosing coach in the past and that was a big hit. So, um, Julie, thank you so much for joining us. I mean, you've got the pedigree, you've helped hundreds of clients. You're going off to a really cool experience with uh, a personal growth, the development seminar, seminar to connect with other entrepreneurs. So I love that you're growing in a professional sense, but also helping others grow in like a what can be like a really kind of like sacred space and something that like takes a lot of vulnerability. So thank you so much for, for joining us. We're happy to have you. 
Thank you so much for having me. I think that was my favorite introduction ever because you didn't just read <laughs> the paragraph I sent. <laughs> so I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, my journey's definitely been wild. I certainly didn't get my JD thinking that this is what I would be doing, but I rolled with the flow of life and here I am. <laughs> so if I may, like, what was the inflection point from when you decided to kind of pivot career-wise? Because that sounds like that's a pretty big, scary thing to do. It's interesting. This memory just came up for me. Have you guys seen the documentary um, on HBO? It's like a three-part docu-series about this like murder in Boston from the 90s. Miss that one. I thought we were going yeah. Chernobyl, but no, miss that one. <laughs> okay, so essentially this... Sorry if anyone hasn't seen it. You can like fast forward it for a minute. This guy <laughs> killed his wife. But when it happened, he said, this black man shot my wife. And it like, I mean, there had been like race, racial tensions in Boston for a long time, but it like really erupted things. And then they like wrongly persecuted this person. It was a whole thing. But um, I went into the practice of law. I really originally thought I wanted to do more like... Um, like international law, like indigenous rights. Um, and I started out by clerking for a judge. So clerking is the process of like working for a judge in chambers. You can work for them like a trial judge, an appellate judge. I was in the appellate level. And I don't know how everyone runs their chambers. But my judge essentially like I wrote the opinions, I researched, I read the case, um, I wrote the opinion. And then he like, gave me feedback. He liked it. He didn't like the law I chose, or he did, or he didn't like the outcome that I chose, or he did. And um, my judge was a former um, cop. And there was this case where I read through everything, and I just did not believe there was enough evidence to convict of this uh, intent to distribute charge. And I wrote the case that way and I went into his chambers and he was like, I'm a cop. I was a cop. You don't know what it's like on the streets. Like a black guy doesn't go into the alley, like unless, you know, something blah, blah, blah is happening. And I was just like, you have got to be kidding me right now. <laughs> I understand. Like I, I truly like, I have no idea what it would be like to be a police officer. I'm sure it's extremely scary um, to go into certain situations. And so I do have so much like, empathy and um I, I own that I'm ignorant to that but just like the amount of prejudice and I, I don't know if it was racism but he was so quick to like he had not read the case like I had read it you know what I mean and he was so quick to be like this is the way it is and I was just like it left such a taste in my mouth where I was like wow I'm never gonna effectuate justice I'm never going to really improve someone's life and I think that was kind of like the ticking time bomb where I was like, mm, I don't think I really want to be a lawyer. <laughs> so what did the path look like from there? So now you have kind of this all right, bad experience, bad taste in your mouth. Like what, what's the unfolding from there? Okay, full disclosure, I also was just a little party head and I was like doing too many drugs, drinking a lot. And I was like, like oh my God, like life cannot, this is, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm on a fast track to nowhere. Um, and so I, I got a, I got my own life coach at some point around all of this happening and we're talking about things and I just realized how deeply unhappy I am. I realized how much 
crazy anxiety I was experiencing. And I had this particular flavor of anxiety that I call apocalyptic thinking. So it's like something happens. And instead of perhaps like anticipating a measured response, I would assume like the world is ending, like everyone hates me and like I'm just screwed. Um, And it was debilitating to think and live that way for sure. And she kind of sold this like cheery life in San Diego. That's where she lived. And I had started to think maybe the practice area was the problem. And if I like focus in on a specific practice area that felt good, I would be happier. And so I thought maybe I would do special education law. And so I um, started working with a firm or like in negotiations with the firm. And they're like, we actually want to open a West Coast office. We're an East Coast firm. And I quit that job that I had kind of on a dime. I moved to California to study for the California bar. And I was going to be like their first attorney in their satellite office for West Coast. And then the pandemic happened. So I took the bar at the end of February. They only offer it two times in California um, a year. And I took the bar at the end of February, 2020, and people were wearing masks. And I was like, what the heck are people doing? Like, y'all are dramatic. And then two weeks later, the world <laughs> shut down. I was like, oh my God. Um, so anyway, I passed the California bar and then was like, then the firm said, oh, we're not opening. Like, I'm not opening an office in the middle of the pandemic. It's like, okay, cool. So I'm just screwed then. And instead of like sitting too long in that feeling of feeling like screwed over, I decided to figure out what would actually make me happy. And so I started off coaching in a very like straightforward life coaching way. And it eventually evolved into this. Gotcha. Okay. So it sounds like there's kind of a blend of personal experiences that when you're working with clients, maybe you had the most conviction in and saw like, hey, for a predictable amount of people, this would also help them with their breakthroughs. Yeah. Like you mean when it comes to microdosing? Uh-huh. Yeah. So yeah, the microdosing came in later. When I first jumped into the world of personal development, I had the opportunity to sit with ayahuasca and I definitely felt called. Um, and I had shared very openly about that, about my experience and kind of tried to demystify it because it can seem very unapproachable if all you see are like these Costa Rican retreats and people puking in buckets. And you're like, what's happening? What do people do down there? Right. And I was like, okay, it's not that. So how about we just try to be a little bit realer? Um, and I felt like I had kind of hit this plateau in my business and I could not figure out how to break through. I had done so many different niches. I, I was currently at that point, like executive coaching. Um, And my friend was investing in a microdosing company. He connected me with the company and he just said, I want you to try the product um, just to give me your feedback. Like I've invested in this and I was not adverse to the idea of microdosing, but I knew that I wanted to do it in a way where I like had integrity in the process and I understood what was happening and I was able to get the most out of it. So I really began researching, um, doing different trainings, reading a lot of books and a lot of research papers and combining it with like my um, toolbox from my coaching certifications. And I'm also a breathwork facilitator. And then I got into like psychedelic facilitation. And so I took myself through sort of a maximized protocol. And just by sharing that, people were so interested in what I was doing. And it was never my intention to make microdosing my business. And I actually really resisted it for the first couple of months because I was like, this is what I'm doing for my personal growth. It's not, I'm not a facilitator, blah, blah, blah. I was like, I want to learn. 
And eventually it kind of felt like the universe was slapping me across the face with this opportunity and was like, hey, dummy, like this is what you're here for. And so eventually I stopped resisting and leaned in and here we are, Sheryl Sandberg. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's so, um, not to dominate the conversation, if, Dylan, if you have anything, hop in, but like why microdosing as opposed to macrodosing? Mm, okay. Well, I'm no, I love, I'm a little psychonaut. I was before you know, I started microdosing and there is something so powerful about macrodosing. Like I host quarterly retreats and that's definitely an option for people, but I wanted something that I was like, how can I bring the magic of the experience of a macrodose into the everyday without incapacitating myself? Right. Mm -hmm. And there's something so potent about it's enough to produce the positive effects in your brain, but it's not enough that you can't like be a professional, right? Most of my clients I think I attract a certain kind of client because I'm a lot of psychedelic facilitators and this isn't right or wrong. It's just not who I am are much more like granola and seem a little unapproachable to certain people. Like it's a little too woo, I guess I'll say. And I'm very much like I'm a bougie microdosing coach. Like <laughs> I love nature. I go hiking, but like I get my nails done. Like I wear makeup. Um, I have this background as a lawyer. And so I feel like I'm really there to, I'm there to be the bridge between like the urban jungle and like the jungles of Peru. Mm. Yeah. Dylan likes to get his nails done. Don't you I love that for you. <laughs> By the way, those look fire. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> those do look fire. <laughs> I love my nails. <laughs> Got my first uh, manicure not too long ago. I didn't do any painting on it, but I went in there and did the whole thing. I was like, oh, this is nice. It feels nice. Nice. You deserve so, it. With your, you notice with your more bougie clientele, right? You know, it's probably coming from your background of becoming a lawyer and who you surround yourself with. You're already surrounding yourself with like very high, high level people. But you've also kind of probably seen being in the space, people that are more hippie woo woo and going into the space, right? Like, what have you seen? What, do you see a difference of people evolving when you're coaching them from from different levels, like from more from the bougie space and more of the hippie woo woo, like either from an acceptance or through a big? Do, do you see a bigger change between either of them when they go into start microdosing? Oh wow! Okay, here's kind of how I think of what my particular like medicine is. Um. I truly believe I'm here to support people in remembering that life gets to feel good, that life gets to feel fun, because mm -hmm. it's easy to get caught up in the parts of life that feel really challenging, right? Like, I'm constantly being reminded as I build my business and grow my business, like when times start to feel hard, it's like, Julie, there's more to life than this. Go outside, touch the ocean, let the sun shine on your face. <laughs> I feel like it's a constant reminder I give myself, and that's kind of my medicine. So. I feel like people become really hard on themselves regardless of if they're more in the woo space or they're in this like bougie space. So I think regardless of where people are, that's more of the, that's more of the journey that they go on with me. It's like, I want to be the most effective version of myself, whatever that looks like, what's ever true to my identity. But I want to do it in a way where I think I, I know that I work with a lot of people who are just hard on themselves. Like their internal dialogue is like, I'm never enough. It's never enough. I'm not living in my purpose. I don't feel fulfilled. And it's like that shit, like that's not out there. It's actually in here. And it's up to you to figure that out and find it for yourself and to feel confident in it. Like enoughness comes from inside. 
are you seeing that a lot because of their they're working so hard like it's a lot of high level professionals that are just they put so much time and money in their professionalism that they forget i need to live a little bit every now and then I think it's unfortunately just like Western society. It's your value is tied to production. So even like I'm thinking mm. of one client who I have who is really woo and she's like an herbalist mm. and she's beautiful. But like even her who's like so in a different space than you might think that mm. a CEO would be in, she still is really undoing that conditioning of like, it's never enough. I haven't served people enough. My product isn't good enough. Like I'm not enough. And Unfortunately, that's really indoctrinated into us from a young age, right? It's like, get A's in school. And how many stickers did you get in kindergarten? And did you earn the prize? And it's like, what if we all just like, life is the prize. And we kind of went away from this. You know, I don't have kids. But I think it, it happens to us from a young age. Yeah, I was actually thinking about that today. There was something that came up for me during high school. And it's like, it's weird if you had a great high school experience, which I think everybody's is complicated, but if you had a great high school experience, then you look back on that and be like, oh, I wish things like that's why return to the golden years is a thing, right? But I saw a lot of people start to blossom in college when I was going and, and seeing people kind of open up and like totally go a different path and how they're raised. And then after college, it's like we come into this different era in our 20s where we're rediscovering ourselves again. It feels like the 30s, it starts to kind of, we know what we like, we know what we don't, but now we're trying to kind of like double down on what we do like. And even in all of that, whatever came up for me, I was like, man, it's weird. It's so hard sometimes to let go of like, I'm not good enough or I need to live up to this standard because in, in one way it serves us to be going for something that truly would excite us. But it's all, in my opinion, just kind of convoluted with other people's ideas of what should be good for what we want in life. And every time I have a psychedelic experience, I just, I'm constantly reminded, none of it matters. Let it go. Love is the answer. And then you just give it a couple of days and the bullshit starts packing right back on. I mean, you freaking nailed it, right? You kept using a word at the beginning of the conversation that's like my favorite word, which is integration. And that's what I think is so often missing in this space. So after my retreats, it's not like you come on a macro dosing retreat with me and then I just like send you back into society. We have a mini mastermind for a month afterwards. And it's about exactly what you said. Like it's so easy to forget the lessons that you experienced from the mushrooms or whatever and to just fall back into societal programming, but you can actively choose to be in the remembrance and in the execution, like through action, new choices, new behaviors of remembering and, and deprogramming. So that's why I think like I would never offer an experience that doesn't off, doesn't include integration. So even for my private sits, I, I make people do like, you know, a month of one-on-one -on -one with me after because it's so important. Yeah. So give me the good, bad, and the ugly. What do you love about the work you're doing? What is something that you're like, man, this is something I could definitely live without. It's super ugly. And what's something that you see people constantly struggle with that you wish you could help them, but it's, it's their own journey? Oh, wow. I fucking love this. Um, okay. I love... So... I don't like to say this when I first start talking to people because I don't want to over, I like to, 
under promise and over deliver, but people do get really fast results. So just yesterday I was talking to this woman and she's been in my microdosing collective for a week. And she's like, I like, it is working. I can feel it. I feel so good. I had no idea that it would happen this fast. I'm so, so, so happy. And I share with her, you know, like I never want to tell someone that it's going to work this fast because I would hate to disappoint them or have their expectations get in the way. But like it, that is fairly normal for people to see results really fast. And I would say if at the end of the month you weren't seeing noticeable differences, like I would like I would step up and work with you in a like closer capacity and we would change your schedule and we would figure it out because like it, quote unquote, should be doing it by them. So I like that it's a really quick modality, right, versus like meditation. I know people have tried to meditate for years and I find it very effective. I'm a daily meditator, but I know some people really struggle to like reach the bliss point or whatever of meditation. Um, so I like that it's fast and effective. The part that I, I could live without. Honestly, I think a lot of people are like, uh, I just need a source and like, it'll be fine. I think a lot of people think it's a magic pill. And even though it's fast, I don't believe it's a magic pill. And I believe it's fast because I have a great formula to pair with it. Like when you start doing it, um, like within my collective and following the like procedures, you know, it does, it works if you work it kind of like AA or whatever. But um, I think there's a lot of people want something that they don't have to do anything for, right? That's why people take diet pills and all sorts of crap. You don't want to have to work for anything. And for some people, they may have like great on days, but if you're not doing other practices to make it sustainable and integrative, like you're not actually going to change your life. You're just going to have a good days when you microdose, which is fine. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying there's a right or a wrong, but I do think there's a misconception around that. And then, okay, wait, the good, the bad. And then what was the what, last one? The ugly. Oh, that like the really ugly part. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just recently started getting like trolls. Um, and so my friend who I'm actually at this event with, she's a huge time business beauty babe, like seven figure business owner. And she definitely has had her trolls. And so she was like, you made it, Julie. Like, congratulations. Welcome to the winner circle. But, you know, I just think it's really interesting that a people take the time to kind of say these snotty comments. Like I personally don't have the time like, or the energy to do that, but it's also like, you don't know me. And so I think it's really interesting on the internet. Like we make, and I'm sure I do it to other people in my head. I'm just not like typing it out on the internet. Like we're all making judgments and assessments on based on our lenses and perceptions, but like, you don't know me, you don't know my intention or my heart. And that part has been a challenge for me to, kind of like realize that's their shit. That's not my shit because I would never do this on the internet. And I know that where I'm coming from is a hundred percent pure. Yeah. I, f I feel like what I've heard someone say is a great example is when you started reaching the trolls online is actually when you like, you've really expanded because now you've reached such a wide audience. You're just going to find haters now. All the time. Yeah. Like they're just, that just kind of comes along with the picture. For sure. For sure. And, you know, it's it's a great reminder of like, yeah, I've expanded to a point where that happens. Um, but I did exist so long in like kind of like little bubble where like no one ever said anything mean to me. And that was nice, too. Um, but now I'm pushing that bubble. It's okay. I think the weird part about the Internet is that it 
feels like, I don't have any data to support this, but it feels like a disproportionate amount of people leave comments that are negative. I mean, mm. I'm like one of my intentions for this year, I'm like a flat out consumer of the internet. I don't like a bunch of stuff. I don't comment a bunch of stuff. You know, I might send memes or videos or stuff to my friends, but even the ones like my friends send me, like I, I don't even like ha ha or, you know, like it's got to be really good to get an LOL out of me. Then I genuinely LOL'd. But I feel like most people that comment negative stuff, like if you could see their comment history, I don't know if you can, maybe you can, it would probably be just a bunch of negative stuff. Like just everywhere they go, little breadcrumbs of shitting on people for no reason. A lot of times it's bots too. Yeah. Most of the time. Controversy. You look, yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean, and look, I don't, I think there's something to that, right? Because I don't, I'm never going to be someone who's like toxic, whatever you want to call it, toxically positive, like positive all the time. But I do think what you choose to focus your attention on breeds. So if you're someone leaving all these mean comments on people or constantly critiquing or judging people, it's like, I'm sure that's breeding more of that in your life. And also at the end of the day, I just come to realize like, you're not even on the court playing the game with me. So like you can be one of those fans like I would have made that shot or can you believe you didn't catch that? But like no one recruited you for the NFL. So shut up. <laughs> I want to touch on real I have never heard that term toxically positive. Oh, hit me. Like just being just being overly positive. Do you run into that sometimes in your practice of like people that are doing this and you're like, hey, look, you got to. Give us you wonder juice. why people don't like you. You got to tone down. You got to be a little bit more of a hater. The way that <laughs> I see this come up the most is, so let's say I have a client who is having a really rough week at her job and she'll be like, you know, I mean, yeah, it was sad, but like there are kids dying in Africa. So like, I'm not going to be upset about it. It's like, own your feeling like uh, there are mm. kids that are dying in Africa and that is tragic but that doesn't mean that you aren't sad or that you aren't allowed to be sad like this isn't um a game of whose pain or whose trauma is the worst and I find honestly one of the biggest barriers is that especially women are taught that certain feelings aren't appropriate for them I especially find that with anger like women aren't meant to be angry um and also I don't think most of society is modeled a healthy example of how to be angry in a way that is expressive and healthy and um, like normal and safe. And we're just shown anger that is toxic and dangerous and scary. But anger is a very useful emotion. And I used to be that way of like, I'm not an angry person. But now it's like, I get angry. You know what? I'm going to throw a pillow down or I'm going to go somewhere where no one's worried about me and I'm going to scream or I'm going to do something to allow that anger to move. Um, so feel your feelings. The thing that I will say is I know some people who get like too stuck in the feeling and then they kind of wallow there. And that's a dangerous game, too. Mm hmm. I, that's it. It's almost like people are so swayed to be almost like the disagreement, right? Like no one wants to have a conversation when you disagree with somebody. Almost that same perception of you know I disagree with you, so I don't want to have a conversation and screw you or whatever. Whereas like, hey, let no, let me help. Let's understand each other. But you should also don't be so overly positive. You should understand that feeling, be able to work through it a little bit better. 
Yeah. That's like, that's a great point and great example. I just had a conversation with someone. I was snowed in in Colorado trying to get back to San Diego and I ended up having like a snowed in buddy. And this guy and I had an extremely different viewpoint on a topic, but we had this really productive conversation. And I was kind of almost in like what you were talking about of like, oh my God, there's no point in talking about this because if you don't like, you're not on the side that I'm on, then like, we're not going to get anywhere. But it was really refreshing to be able for us to like, we weren't trying to change each other's mind. We were truly listening to what the other was saying. And neither one of us thought we were right. We were Mm -hmm. both just like owning that this is what we thought about the issue. And we moved on. I will say that's the thing that I love the most about some conversations you'll have at like music festivals or get togethers where you kind of have like trippy people in one space. Uh, to an extent where you can have charged conversations and it almost always diffuses back into like banter. Like Dylan and I almost exclusively try and bring up controversial (laughs) topics if we're at like a music festival and (laughs) in like a playful way, you know, and just see like, you know, I think that is a a big part of what's going on with like politics in America right now Mm -hmm. is that people have these identities attached and it's like, I'm going to run the column of like, this is what I support kind of deal. And a vast majority of people don't give a fuck. They, they want lower taxes. They want, you know, stuff to be good. And it's the screaming voices on the ends that they're, are the loudest to get the most attention. And so it's like the more things that we can do as humans just to come together and be like, hey, cool. Like, I understand why you feel that way. I hope you understand why I feel this way. And that's kind of it. Like, we don't have to hate each other for just having a different opinion. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Do you guys want to give me a controversial topic? Do you want Absolutely. to talk Absolutely. What's your favorite condiment? <laughs> Mustard? Yeah, that's where you fucked up. Right there. <laughs> Wait, what? Like, I feel like I just walked into like, some kind of pre-existing thing. Do you guys Absolutely want to give me you did. You, you laid it up. For me, okay. No, for sure, but, but you amazing. have like, some history with mustard, and I feel like I'm missing. Yeah, chocolate. it's the fucking worst. How versatile is mustard? It's really so good versatile. though. Mustard is. What are you putting versatile? it on? What so are you? Good. I put on everything. Yeah. Okay. Well, first off, that might be your problem. Okay. <laughs> I'm a mustard fan too. This dude, chaos. He just thinks mustard is chaos. Dude, it just, is. No, it's it not. It is the anarchy Spicy of condiments. Mustard, honey mustard, regular anarchy? mustard. Anarchy? I feel like that's really strong. We had a, so we is had... the flavor of mustard. It's so yeah, dominating. I like, I like the nose feeling. I like wasabi too. Like I like when you can feel something here and you're like, I'm alive. He just doesn't like spicy things. You know? Oh, coconut, what? Coconut, coconut. I tell you what. <laughs> Oh, is he leaving? That could be cool. Wait, that could be fun. wait he's just yeah, gone. Just yeah, we actually might get somewhere on things, you know. I like this. <laughs> well, he's abandoning his own podcast. I've never we been after. We went. We went to Bonnaroo with a whole flag one one year. With it, it was just may, no mayo and ketchup, mayonnaise, mayonnaise and ketchup on mayonnaise like, which is one's... your favorite condiment? Mm, no, I actually don't like actually, it. He actually, hate actually hates it. He actually hates it, but I he will stand at ground. Ketchup, obviously, is between the two, between both oh, of those. Oh, for sure, ketchup. But, yeah. But, no shots, dude. No shot. Yeah, mayonnaise has got to be one of the most versatile condiments. Lard? <laughs> what is it's happening? It's essentially fat, is what I was we're... really enjoying this conversation. 
Have you ever had a grilled cheese with mayonnaise on the outside? No, because my grandma loved me. Okay. Well, my grandmother loved me too. All right. <laughs> Obviously not. <laughs> no, I, I would say like a ranch is probably my favorite, to be honest. Not very versatile. You've never been whiter than you are in this moment. Mm, thank you. I yeah, agree. That's what I go for. You're welcome. Yeah. When I go into an alley, I'm definitely buying drugs. <laughs> Okay. Way to like full circle. I'm actually impressed. <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to remember that far back in the conversation to even know what you're referencing, but I really like that. I'm fairly it. certain the last minute or two that we took is a nice like men in black memory eraser for any type of yeah. production, productive direction we took. Yep. Um, I, one of the points that I wrote down earlier was um, like for, um, for clients, like, do you have like any kind of like screening protocol that like would disqualify someone from working with you? Yeah, for sure. Um, so at this point in my business, everything that I do is has more of a live component because I just found that not having support was a big missing thing. Like some people, I'd say like usually when coaches would come to me and want a microdose, they were I don't like the word better, but I felt like they were more equipped to handle a sort of DIY course because maybe they had, you know, used similar tools or use a tool that I was using. And there was like a little bit mm, accountability was a bit better for themselves. But I think if you've never done some of this work and you're jumping into microdosing, a lot of feelings can come up. And I just, I felt that the component of support was missing because most people don't want to like necessarily add it on, right? They're like, Oh, I bought the course. I don't necessarily need to do like coaching or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. which like was fine, but then it was, I didn't, I don't know. I just felt like it was missing. And so I created a group program. Um, I also do some other like smaller offers where we work together live, like, you know, in a setting, but because there is so much time with these people, I wanted to make sure that it was a good fit for them. And I also didn't want it to be a thing where like, I'm introducing you to something where I don't think that you are in a good spot to do it because, you know, are we talking about that crazy, like personal development workshop, um, at the beginning, um, one thing that really did not resonate well for me with that is that thing didn't have any screening process. Basically they like had, you had to enroll your friend in it. And that's how they got all their new people was mm. through like enrollments. And because there was no screening process, there were a handful of people in my class that I felt were not appropriate people to be there. Like, talked about how actually it had reopened a lot of um, mental health wounds. And there were some people like struggling with like suicidal ideation and all sorts of things. And I was like, wow, this is actually, if I didn't feel already strong in myself to a certain degree, this would be really confronting. And I don't think like psychedelics aren't like, haha, everyone do them, take some mushrooms. Like they can be very confronting as well. And so we have a whole conversation before it's ever even a possibility of like working together. Um, and I'm also really intuitive. So I definitely know within the first five minutes, if it's like, yes, I could see myself working with this person and they would be a good fit and they would benefit and they would do well. Or it's like, okay, it's time for me to wrap up this conversation because at this point we're just wasting each other's time and like I'm not for them and they're not for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The screening process is pretty important because 
I think most people go into it. Like, that's the tough part, too. If you want to spread the good word of what psychedelics can do, it does come across as a panacea. It does come across mm -hmm. as like, hey, universally, this is a great fit. And it wasn't until I messed up and helped someone tug on the chain of reality that was not meant to move that anchor where I realized like, wow, you definitely need to pump the brakes and not go full like savior mode on everyone and say like, hey, everybody should be doing this. Yeah. I mean, the thing that's cool about microdosing is it can support you in so many different things and totally agree. It is not for everyone. Do you find like, um, kind of like with someone on Adderall, right? Like they'll take Adderall and they're like, I'm having a good day because I'm on Adderall. And then they, whoosh, they fall off. You mentioned earlier that some people are just there for the good microdosing days. Do you have that sometimes where they just, they're taking it, but they don't do the side work and they're just like, oh, I just, if I just take this, I'll have a good day. And they're not actually focusing on the, on the other work. Yeah. So when I started my business in this realm, I had this program, which I still think is an amazing program. Like the resources in there are great, but it was 30 days. It took you through a whole microdosing protocol and included resources to support you in the rewiring and reprogramming of your brain for every on day. It let you know what to do on the off days. It had all the integration, but it was 30 days. And then I found people didn't really like stick with the work, right? During their off, you have to take like a two week rest period in between protocols. They didn't really stick with the work. They didn't integrate and they kind of fell into like, the changes were good for the month they were doing it, but they weren't really sustainable. And I was like, okay, what, what's missing here? Like, what am I not getting? And so that's why my current program, The Collective, is a six-month experience. So you have the opportunity to actively microdose for four protocols. Um, and then I do like, so one woman right now that I'm working with in The Collective, she's on her off grade and she's like, I liked it when I microdosed. And I was like, I know, babe, but like, this is literally the work because I don't want you to microdose forever. I want you to identify microdosing. Psychedelics are an activator, right? They're like, it, mm -hmm. it kind of helicopters you to the top of the vista and you can see how beautiful it is, but then it's still your job to climb the mountain. You know, it's possible. You've seen it, you know, it's there, it's available to you, but it's like, what do you get to do in order to bring the magic of an on day into your off day? Now that you know, it's possible, it's accessible there is a gap for you to close, whether it be in your own practices, your mindset, your behaviors, whatever, that it's going to allow you to have that feeling regardless of whether you're microdosing. And so that's another reason like I totally changed my business model within the last year is because of that integration piece and like not wanting people to get hooked on microdosing as like a, this is making me feel better today thing. Yeah. That's such I a perfect like, uh, that, that's such a perfect description of like, it gives you the full altitude. Here's what it's going to look like. Now it's time to get there. Yeah. That is such a good analogy on that. Thank you. Yeah, one of the coaches that we brought on described it very distinctly. And I mean, I'm, I'm going to kind of butcher it, but it was like a non-discriminatory amplifier. So it kind mm -hmm. of brings everything into the mix and gives you an opportunity to kind of see like, Hey, these highs are really high for this reason. These lows are really low for this reason. And and so you're speaking to like, hey, when someone has awarenesses in an altered state of consciousness, that gap, that awareness is what then they'll be working on in just a normal everyday state of consciousness and have more practical, not practical, but like have integrative practices to help close that gap. And that's what you support them in the most. Yeah. So 
before I started in, in this work, um, I had this client. He was very much like one of my executive clients. He has this tech business in New York. And the thing that he took away most from our work together was this idea of intention. Um, and I shared with him how like you can make everything intentional, right? You can wake up and like intend to have a peaceful shower. You can go to breakfast and intend to connect with your friends and eat really nourishing foods. And so he's like, that's what I took away. Like no matter what I'm doing, I set an intention for it and it has totally changed my life. And I, I bring this back because one woman recently recently realized that the thing that was going to help her bring the magic of microdosing into everyday life was this like little ritual she had created at nighttime where she would like take her shower and meditate and like do her like, you know, skincare and that process of slowing down and recalibrating her nervous system of coming back to herself. That was the magic microdosing because I, in my program, like a sneak preview, um, I've, ask you to create a ritual around microdosing around like a sacred practice that you do that's really intentional to connect with the medicine and with yourself she was like that ritual totally changes the rest of my day like the next day and my mind and like heart body soul and that's what she needed but she like had to get she had a microdose to figure that out for herself mm. Yeah. So I, I think rituals can be really important for anyone listening. I mean, do you have any kind of like recommended rituals, whether microdosing or not, that you think would be a great place to start? Yeah. Um, so I just want to say this at the beginning, because this was a big part of my journey of feeling like I had to do things right. Like I would go, I would like buy a program or go to someone else's thing and be like, she would say, well, every morning I meditate for 15 minutes and then I do a cold plunge and then I do a mantra and then I do a journaling. So first of all, it felt like really long. But second of all, I felt like I had to do all these steps or I wasn't doing it right. And I like, wasn't going to get the benefit from it. So the first thing I would say is like, play and figure out like what feels good to you what doesn't feel like an obligation because there have definitely been things that I've done that felt like obligations and I was doing them because I thought I needed to check a box versus like doing them and really connecting with some part that felt like soul fed so um I do love to meditate uh, I stole this like chi machine from my mom's I say stole she let me have it it's like this crazy thing from the early 2000s you put your feet you in it, it and it takes you I stole <laughs> sorry Cindy um I put your, your, your feet in and it shakes you. And so I do that for 10 minutes and I just connect with my breath in the morning. I do really like mantras in the mirror. I say certain things to myself, like affirmations in the mirror. I'm a prayer. I have my prayer beads. I pray for myself and others. Uh, I do love to journal. I have certain journal prompts that I do. Uh, but I would say like play, like there's so many things you see on the internet, like you need a cold plunge or you need to do tarot or whatever. Honestly, I would go on a little like, uh, scientific exploration with myself and do everything I saw on the internet. That's kind of what I've done at this point. And then figure out what really resonates with you and find a way to do it. in in some time that's sustainable because those hour long, like, I don't even think that's reasonable. And this is my job <laughs> for an hour long routine. <laughs> or like those crazy people are like, I wake up at 345 in the morning and I go to the gym for six hours. And it's like, whoa, bro. Like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> But if you love the gym, like follow that. I don't think there's a right or a wrong, but I do think there's a intentional space everyone can carve out for themselves each day. I think I think that's what a lot of people fall why why they fall out is exactly what you just said is, you know, it's kind of like someone that's going to the gym. They think they go to the gym, they start doing all these crazy things and stuff, being like, hey, maybe we just start with stretching. 
get in the habit of like yeah. going to the gym first, getting there or whatever. And I think so many people see exactly what you're talking about of, uh, oh, do the cold punch, do this, do this, do this. And then they get into it and then they screw up their whole schedule. Then they start getting distracted and then they have to start over in the process. And and I think you're right too. When you say like, you know, don't follow exactly maybe what someone else is doing. Try different things, getting into it. And what would you say like if, if, because some people stick to something, right? Like, oh, if I keep doing this thing, it's going to work instead of like trying to move on and some, try something different. Like, what would you say like, hey, what, what's the trigger of maybe being like, that's not working for you, man. Like, let's try something different. Yeah, sunk cost fallacy. Okay, for sure. Um, and just to your point, I know that like I work with a lot of perfectionists and I think what happens to perfectionists is exactly that. We're like they're perfectionists in other areas of their life. And then they come into this thinking like spirituality or personality or personal development is going to like liberate them from those feelings. But instead, they just replicate perfectionist <laughs> tendencies and feel like they have to do it right. So if you are out there, you're like, that's me. I love you. I see you. It's okay. You can't mess it up. Um, but so this is something that I've seen in research and it's also been really, um, I see it all the time and like big, well-known, well-respected authors and studies. So like even in the book, Essentialism, which is so popular, right? Like I like to do 90 day sort of experiments and like kind of anecdotally journal. Um, journaling was something that I resisted for a long time because I thought it was like, dear diary, today I went to the grocery store, but now I more use it as like a, um, this really felt good today, or I noticed this came up for me and it was kind of concerning, or I struggled when so-and-so said X to me. Um, so like doing something for 90 days and kind of seeing like, looking back at sort of anecdotal journaling, do I like the way I'm feeling more than I did at the beginning? And do I actually like this thing? Like, I think it's really powerful as adults to give ourselves permission to say like, I don't like this. Like for the longest time, if I started a book, I would make myself finish it. And I recently started allowing myself if I got like, a, you know, I recently got 60 pages into a book and I was like, wow, I could not care less about this book. I'm no longer going to read it. Or I need to listen to this podcast episode because so-and-so is so good. And then oh, it's like, no, I don't. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I'm with you. Giving yourself the permission to, I think, bring it back again. Another full circle moment. Like life should be fun. Yeah. That, that is, mm. I just resonate with that so much. Uh, a, a previous mentor of mine on the topic of morning routines pointed that out to me because I told him my routine. He was like, dude, that sounds brutal because I was trying to do all of the things. And then Tell I me think, what it was. I need to know. Uh, that was when Dylan and I were doing the, the cold plunge, cold shower. Mm -hmm. I was going to a gym. So I was like uh, waking up, hopping right into like a reprogramming meditation. Then I'd go to the gym, work out, then do a cold plunge, then come home, do my affirmations, then do journaling, then do reading, then get the day started. And so it took like two and a half hours, three hours to do all the stuff. I and need a nap listening to you. Yeah, that's how I felt. I was like, and then I got to go work all day. I was like, dude, this is rough. He's like, yeah, my morning routine is like, I wake up and like a red light thing. I like, you know, it says it got health benefits, but he's like, I just sit there and meditate for like 15 minutes. I read some books and spend time with the kids. He's like, it's awesome. 
I love, I love the way I start my day. And I was like, that sounds nice. I want, I want that. And he's like, just do whatever's fun for you, man. Like, so there's an element where we do start our day a certain way and that'll continue into our day. But like, I, I think you'll see videos coming out now of like people making fun of the gurus for that exact same reason. It's like, mm-hmm. come on, man. Like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so as we kind of start to find a landing spot here, one question that we ask all of our guests that we'd love to present to you if you're game to play, um, kind of redundant in nature, but what's one question or one topic that you wished more people asked you? Oh, Wow. That's a great question. Look at you guys over here, philosophers. Um, That's the best compliment ever. (laughs) You know, I think this is like people are always like they want to know so much about microdosing, but I really do feel like my medicine is happiness to either like what makes you happy or like what are some secrets to happiness? to that you would say what are some of the secrets to happiness um honestly i think when people can trust themselves that's huge so many people don't feel confident in the choices that they make or in who they are i've really gotten to a point where like i'm kind of like what we were talking about with like the trolls or whatever i know myself i know my heart i know my intentions and i also like trust myself to take accountability when I mess up. I trust myself to handle tough situations. I trust myself to show up and do the hard things. And I think a lot of discontent comes from a lack of trust in oneself and not feeling like they can do it. And that is a practice of, you know, gathering evidence for yourself of showing up and doing the thing like it doesn't happen overnight there's not a secret meditation I could send you you'd be like tomorrow I trust myself it truly is making a shift and saying I am true to my word I know how to take accountability and I believe in my abilities to see myself through anything it's very real way to land on a a very like that yeah that's awesome I hope you guys uh, resonate with that too. I mean, that. thank you for coming on and sharing your medicine with us. It was such a beautiful connection. I had a blast getting mm-hmm. to know you, Julie, and, and kind of what you're up to. And if folks want to connect with you, what's the best way to do it? Honestly, come find me on Instagram. I'm Julie Savone. I know that it'll be like below. Um, Savone is a made up name. It's my middle name. So that's that's what I am on Instagram. But I'm, you can also like send me an email at Julie at juliasavone.com. Um, but I'm really like, I love to talk about what I do and uh, I'm friendly. So if you have any questions or want to reach out, send me a message, send me an email and like, let's chat. Cool. And if you guys see cool. this anywhere in your feeds, I'm sure there's some bells or like things and subscribe things. That just means you see more of us and you'll see more of Julie. So thank you so much, Julie, for coming on. And next week, guys, uh, we'll line up another great expert for you. So tune in again and we love you. Thank you.